Things are going to get worse before they get better. Got down on his knees and gave his life to Christ. Because Americans are dreamers too. You're not in any moral position to tell anybody how corrupt they are. You should be quiet. Why? Why are our black sons and daughters being treated so badly? This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. Hey folks, hey, what's happening? ¿Qué está pasando con ustedes? Oye, oye, oye. Aquí estoy, aquí estoy con ustedes en el Profane Faith podcast, ¿ah? Huh? What do you think? What do you think about that? Uh, practicing a little Espanolo there. <laughs> How y'all doing this week, y'all? Uh, it's your boy, Dan White Hodge. Welcome to Profane Faith. Another week, another place, another topic, of course. Um, well, hopefully y'all are doing all right out there. I know I am. Um, I have uh, upgraded my mic a little bit here. I have a brand new Shure SM7B. So for those of you who are podcast nerds, you know that that's a, well, I, at least I think it's an actual pretty good mic. <laughs> Some people may not think that. Everybody has their own type of, um, you know, thing that they do with, you know, with in terms of, you know, the, uh, the, the actual hardware we use and stuff. But I have always been a fan of Shure microphones. Um, and I, you know, since I have been doing this now for about a year, um, I figured, you know what? It's time to step up a little bit, get a good mic. What do y'all think? Sound okay? Sound all right? I like it. I think it sounds pretty good. I like to hear my voice every now and then. <laughs> uh, either way, for the again, that's just that's a big side note because it's like you know, uh, for those of you who just listen to podcasts, you're not really into like the whole technical side of it. You're like, what what the hell was that all about, man? <laughs> but either way, uh, yeah, this is this is a great mic, so I am loving it. I love the uh, the pop filter and all that good stuff. So hey, if you're into techie stuff like me, uh, let me know. Um, well, you know, I am actually looking at, uh, if you're listening to this in real time or listening to this anytime here in the year 2018, uh, I am actually looking to wind down for here for season two. I'm thinking, uh, next week I will have an episode of, uh, what, uh, pragmatic white alliance or, or white allies, excuse me. And, um, and then the following week will end, will end season two, uh, with a special issue on, um, Mystic Soul Conference. I had attended it uh, back in January of this year, and I figured that'd be a great uh, podcast to end on. I got some great voices, great minds thinking about that. It's a very unique conference, uh, uh, very uh, person of color centered, which is very unique for Christian conferences or just really any kind of spiritual theological conferences. And so uh, I was there, it was held at North Park, and uh, I had a chance to, like I said, talk with a whole bunch of different people. And uh, I've been wanting to get that out, but I wanted to do a special edition on it. So I think we'll end on that. So a couple more weeks, then I'm going to take some time off to just prepare for my semester, my academic semester, uh, and then come back to you guys here in the fall, probably like mid to late September. And I'm going to be bringing some, man, I got some folks lined up. Oh, my gosh. I want to spend some time in season three looking at mental health 
uh, among people of color, particularly among African Americans. Um, those of you who've been following the podcast know that I have am somebody who is a big advocate for um, therapy and for medication uh, for depression and anxiety. Uh, I think those are all important uh things to address and to deal with uh, it took me a while to get there um, i'm also dealing with aspects of post-traumatic stress disorder and i felt it was really good the more people i talk to and engage with i find that they themselves are dealing with some of these things as well and almost paralyzingly so and so we're not having enough conversation around this um and not even conversation but just even just action steps like what can we practically do how do we come around people how do we actually rest right i've talked about that a few weeks ago and so uh i'm looking at some folks like uh, dr monica coleman who uh, wrote an amazing book called bipolar faith uh, a good friend of mine, Elizabeth Pierre, Dr. Elizabeth Pierre, uh, she is a therapist and she does a lot of work amongst uh, African-American uh, folks who are dealing with aspects of this as well. And um, like I said, I'm lining some folks up because I think this is, again, this is something, these are some, some areas that we don't really connect with, particularly in a, in a church setting. Um, I know growing up, I wasn't encouraged to um, you know to to um you know to go and seek counseling right it was like you know pray harder work harder pray for god and if god is so you know open to help you then you know if you do the right steps you know then you'll be healed and then if it comes back that's on you you know you you lost the blessing and so bad theology like that, crappy, shitty theology like that just needs to be done away with. But you'd be surprised uh, that, that so much of that is still around. And uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely want to dedicate some time in season three uh, to engage with that. So look for that. Um, also, uh, we're approaching midterm elections, and I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like for people of color. Are we going to the voting booths? Are we not? Um, some folks I'll probably bring back, as you know, uh, Earl Fisher and Andre Johnson, both doctors. I've had them on before, uh, and so we'll talk about them. They are big activists, also connected to a church uh, out there in Memphis, Tennessee. And so we'll have some other local folks as well here. We got a big mayoral race here in Chicago. Uh, again, this is all as you're listening in real time. I know a lot of people are. I know you know folks download and then hear it. You know, within a couple of weeks of me putting these things out. Uh, but if you're like, if it's already like. 2020 uh, or 2019 or whatever, or wherever you are in the future, uh, this may be all a moot point. But you know what? That's what the fast forward button is on these things, right? Um, so anyways, this week is interesting because this week uh, I am showing essentially my um, the podcast I did at Wild Goose, the Wild Goose Festival. And uh, yeah, I spent some time at Wild Goose. I thought that was, uh, it, was, it, was it was about time I finally get there. Um, I, people have been asking me, the Rands have been asking me uh, for years to come. And I was just like, man, I can't make it. I can't do that, blah, blah, blah. So it was actually great to get there and just see it for myself and just to see it, uh, you know, firsthand in what was happening and what was going on. And so I think in general, I was really, and this question is actually asked um, in the uh, in the interview. So I won't, you know, um, I won't spoil anything. I, you know, my answer was, you know, while we were there, like I said, this was all just live. And so, um, yeah, I think when you think about, you know, they on their website, the Wild Goose Festival, I think uh, spirit, love, justice, dirt, <laughs> right? Um, 
I think it, you know, it's important, I think, for us to be connected with nature. Um, I know that's not for everybody. Um, and I don't think it's a bad thing if you're not, if that's not your thing. Uh, I like nature. Um, I don't necessarily like uh, living in it. Uh, you know, if the apocalypse happens and the zombies come and we have to live out in the the uh, the wilderness, you know, I'll adjust. <laughs> but I'm not one to, you know, just run to the outdoors and live out there. Um, but it, that being said, it's a different conference because it is outdoors. It's all outdoors. In fact, I always used to wonder, I was like, how do they do all these things outside with no internet access, whatever? But, you know, they make it work. You know, somebody brings in electricity and solar panels, and then they've got the artists and the bands and everything. So it's like a regular full-on conference. And, you know, workshops are like an hour, which, you know, I wouldn't want to be sitting longer than an hour in that in that humidity because, whoa, doggies, I done sweated through many old shirts, y'all. <laughs> Man. I'd come in and, you know, my daughter would be like, because I took my daughter with, uh, she'd be like, man, dad, you soaked through all them shirts today. I'm like, yep, I sure did. So they're very accurate in saying, you know, the dirt part and just being sweaty. And, you know, there's something about being sweaty with other folks that you care about. Like I said last week, I felt very, while I was in the camp, I felt very um, accepted. It, it was it was it was a warm vibe that was in, at least I felt that. And this, again, this is my first time being there. Um, ethnic minority presence is, I think, is always a, an interesting thing uh, for places like that because the this you know the wild goose was it, it's it's still white run. I mean, it's 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 a white run organization. Uh, yes, more progressive. Yes, more open to conversations around race, uh, but nonetheless white. And so there's always that element, right? It's like if you're a progressive person of color. Um, you know, you either got to go and deal with BS theology in an ethnic minority church, or you got to go and deal with the race thing in progressive spaces because those are usually run by white folks. <laughs> so I, oh man, I mean, from what I heard, this was a, you know, a year that they worked hard to get a lot of ethnic minorities there. And it showed, you know, as best they could, they showed. Um, I think that. I think that, you know, there's obviously there's a lot of more work all of us can do, you know, with that. I think it's I, I do want to applaud efforts when efforts are made. Um, I also think that, you know, as it as it pertains to, you know, just dealing with issues of justice and general. Right. I mean, you know, they, they went in. There was a lot of stuff. It's very LGBTQ friendly. So I love that. Um, I love, you know, the focus on body image and, you know, there was a whole bunch of signs around the place that talked about, you know, your body's beautiful, your, your image is, you know, beautiful, you know, you're, you're beautiful who you are, love yourself. I mean, those are all great things. Um, took my daughter, like I said, I think she would have gotten more into it just because it was just so hot. She would probably would have gotten more into it. Um, and, you know, it's, like I said, it's just an interesting time. I'm, I'm, you know, I can hear somebody saying now, Dan, will you go back? Um, probably. I mean, the the place that it's held, uh, you know, it's 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 deep south. It's in North Carolina. You think, oh, but that's a northern state. No, it's the south. Um, I came in at the night, and so I didn't see as many Confederate flags. But <laughs> yo, they was some Confederate flags up in there, and they were flying high. And you know, one of the things that tripped me out and that kind of pissed me off with the letter that went out. Uh, beforehand, you know, from some who I don't know who put it together. In fact, I didn't even see who, it because once they said the sentence, I was just like, I just checked out, you know, and it gave all the details about the Wild Goose Festival and this and that. And then they, you know, they had a whole paragraph. I'm like, you know, this is the South. And when you come, you're probably going to see Confederate flags. Try not to pay them no mind. And I'm like, yo, 
Now, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Seriously, man. I mean, for real, you gonna tell me not to pay? That's like telling a Jew that the 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 Nazi swastika. I just don't pay no mind. I don't worry about it. Ah, come on, that is a privileged. That is a privileged, you know, statement. Don't pay it no mind. I could already know that somebody who was white wrote that, or somebody who was who was engaged in white culture uh, wrote this. And you know, I, you can't. I mean, as a black person, as somebody who who has been oppressed by that, who somebody who's been chased by the Klan, as somebody who has grown up in and around that, that that symbol was used towards violent hate towards me. You can't just ignore that. Not at all. So those are triggers y'all those are triggers i mean i came in at night and i'm just like man I, where are we now <laughs> like what i hate being out of the city we off the interstate too oh man you know and it's like what they used to call one horse towns right they you know everything closes at five you know i'm surprised there weren't any sundown uh signs up right you know and it really felt like a sundown town and so I was definitely tripping. I was definitely tripping. And just even while we were there, you know, and, and it took a couple of days. I think it's like, you know, the people tolerated us because the goose brings in a lot of money for them, right? It's 3,000 plus people that are there. They come in, they buy stuff. And so, you know, there is, you know, there were, what I found funny, there were signs around that said, oh, everyone's welcome here. And I was just like, I want to come back like next week. Are those signs still up? And, you know, by the latter part of the week or the weekend, you could tell people were starting to get pissed off because, like, we were trying to cross the street, my daughter and I, and then, you know, some country bumpkin comes through and they said something. I didn't even know what they were talking about. They were definitely talking to us. They were like, all I heard was, really? And then, blah, blah, blah. oh, man. And, you know, between that and the bikers that come in with Confederate flags on, they're all looking at me, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, hmm. Those are all things, and especially in this socio-political climate, that as a person of color as a black man you have to think about straight up you can't ignore it i think that letter or that email would have been better put if like a person of color would have wrote it one uh two or somebody who's conscious enough to be like not necessarily even a person of color but even just a woke white person to be like you know what Confederate flag we don't stand for that the goose doesn't support this we don't we don't go in and i don't think anybody at the goose is supporting it but to just tell me to dismiss it that again oh dude yo that just pissed me off straight up 100 and um you just because you just can't ignore stuff like that you just can't um it just doesn't work that way and so um there was that element every time i left the campground there was that element you know i got i'm looking out for my daughter there are trigger warnings there are, there are just there are things that being in the south especially in this political climate that it just it just gets you and I had fun. Like I said, I had fun. I, you know, my daughter and I, when now she got in the river, we went tubing. Um, you know, it was, it was a great time. Like I said, I'm not against the outdoors. There's some good stuff happening in the outdoors. It's just that there's an element of the outdoors that comes with being in the outdoors, right? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to continue to have conversations. I'm going to continue to engage. I think what Wild Goose is trying to do is, is great. It's very respectful. I think that uh, we have to continue to uh, be in, in these car conversations. I love what Robin Espinosa uh, says. You know, they say, you know, they were there solely because the, it was part of their own calling. And they felt like they were in the fight. Dr. Robin was like, you know, this is a space that we have to be in and so yeah i'll put up with the heat i'll put up with the sweat and i'll put up with the mosquitoes but this is space and so that's just really encouraging right that's encouraging to hear 
that's encouraging to engage with because it's it's easy to let those other elements become become the dominant part of that and i have to fight and, and here's the thing i don't want to say those other elements are to be ignored i don't want and i definitely don't want to say those other elements should be just swept under the rug right and like you know this positivity bs that people try to put on like oh just be positive and those things will go away no I, I just know how easily it can be consumed. So I wanted to look beyond just my own stuff for a little bit and just be like, okay, what is the purpose? Why am I here? So with that, um, I won't keep talking because you're going to hear plenty of me in this next one. And I, I'm also talking about my new book, Homeland Insecurity. Um, I had a good conversation with brother Russ Jennings. And, you know, and I just want to throw a shout out to Russ because Russ is one of those older white dudes who I, in my opinion, um, he gets it. Which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have this, you know, like pragmatic white ally uh, podcast. We're going to be doing that. That's going to be next week's episode. Um, and I really do think I'll, I'll be getting Russ on the show, but I really do think Russ is one of those people. Um, he and I had communicated here. He's been here in the podcast. So, Russ, if you're listening, man, hey, big shout out. Much love to you and the work that you're doing. I think folks like Russ need to be out in the mix talking to other white folks. I think. People like Russ need to be out in the mix talking with other church leaders. Uh, because when you see Russ, you, you think, oh, you know, this is a white guy, you know, older white guy. But then he can come and he can have conversations. He can go in deeper, much deeper than I can. It's not going to be easy. None of this work is easy. None of this work is just like you can just go in and just have a, a party time and it's just going to be right. No, this is hard work. And I like Russ. I could tell just by engaging with him. Like I say, this brother's been around and I appreciate his presence. You're going to hear him. You're going to hear the questions he asked in this um, uh, here here in a few minutes. And so big shout out to him. Um, and, you know, white folks, y'all got a lot of work you got to do. But there are some folks that are out there who are doing it. And I definitely want to throw shouts out, you know, where shout outs are due, um, you know, and because whiteness is everywhere. And like I said before, you know, whiteness doesn't necessarily mean you are white, a white person. So let's just make that clear <laughs> right up the right up front, right? And some of us who are people of color have had plenty of white bosses who were maybe Latinx or maybe African-American or maybe Asian. So those are things, we, again, we, we got to be continue to be in contact with. So anyways, um, so I wanted to go ahead and just pimp the book out a little bit. Homeland Insecurity, it's available now. It's out. Uh, hip-hop missiology for the post-civil rights context. I think oftentimes people see hip-hop and they think, oh, it's just another book about music. And they, it's not. Hip-hop is so much bigger than that. Oh, my gosh. This So this thing, this book... For those of you who don't know, uh, I wrote this. I actually got 150 pages into this book, and then I scrapped it. I, I just completely, I was just like, after the 2016 election, I was like, man, this I'm, I can't write that crap. So I just scrapped all those 150 pages and just started completely over, and really wrote from the heart. I mean, this is research informed. Um, I have several, you know, theoretical frameworks. It's published by, you know, academic publisher IVP Academic. So I come with that, but at the same time, it's still from the heart and. You know, three uh, three parts. Part one is the elements of an impaired missiology. And missiology is just really looking at the broader evangelical call to missions, right? The Great Commission. Missiology is the study of missions or mission theology. And it is about the engagement of missional work um, in the world by the Christian church. You know, um, it, the afterword is by Wilbert Shank. And if those of you who are like super nerds, you know that Wilbert Shank is renowned. I've used him in, in a lot of my own work. He's a renowned uh, mission theologist. Um, it's, it's, 
You know, he writes, while missiology is, relative, is a relative newcomer in terms of academic study, we ought to recognize that the first reflection on mission is found in the New Testament. So again, looking at how we go out. And so I wanted to kind of present a critique of missions, evangelism, uh, while couching that and situating the conversation in and around hip hop culture. So this is definitely not a book for those of you who are still trying to figure out what hip hop is. This is not a book for those who are trying to seek answers. This is a book about sounding the alarm and saying, look, this is how bad it is, right? From this perspective, from this research. Part two deals with a cultural exegesis of the wild. Uh, and then part three deals with church in the wild, unconventional missiology in the 21st century. And so I'm using the parameters around Kanye and uh, uh, Jay-Z's No Church in the Wild. It's like when I think Kanye still had a little sense left before it all left him. And then uh, that whole song just really captures what this book is about. So if you haven't heard No Church in the Wild, you need to go check it out because that really lays the premise for what this book and where this book is going. And so um, I have, you know, different voices in here as well. Young people, uh, young people under the age of 25 who are ethnic minority. Um, uh, I talk about disruption, talk about Black Lives Matter, talk about the uh, white supremacy within missions. I mean, so this is just, this isn't just a book just simply on music. This is a book that is, is getting at using a hip hop hermeneutic, a hip hop context, a hip hop framework, if you will, to talk about theological matters and race. So again, that's why I say, you know, if you want to learn more about hip hop, go to my second book, Solar Hip Hop. I talk about that. And if you want to learn about a specific artist in hip hop and how that came about, that's my first book, uh, Heaven Has a Ghetto, looking at Tupac theology. Um, and there are other books. Jeff Chang writes out there, Nelson George. Um, there are plenty of other folks who are out there who write on a history of hip hop and what hip hop is. This is a, a step forward. This is an advanced book for that. So if that's where you are, perfect this is the book for you i'll put the link in the show notes and i'll put a few other links as well um this interview is is great i think well this this whole this the, the whole time in my and on this while i was there at the goose doing the podcast was a great time i start off interviewing my daughter she wanted to be interviewed so i brought her back on the show and here's the thing i think that's important because she's watching this she's seeing this and she's listening she's asking me questions about the podcast and everything so i wanted to i, I really wanted to honor that when she says i really want to be on it i'm like no you ain't got nothing to say she's actually got a lot to say so i start off with her then i transition into uh just my own um kind of riffing on the book and talking a little bit about that and then russ and i have a conversation on race and theology and missions uh and just kind of where the goose uh, is headed and where it's at and so i hope you enjoy it um again if you want to contact me whitehodgepodcast.com whitehodge.com if you're forgetting that just type in daniel whitehodge to google and you can find me and you know drop me drop a brother a note uh come follow us at profane faith is the new twitter handle uh i'll be uh publishing that as well um and of course dan white hodge i'm on twitter and uh some new things are coming so i'm i'm excited I, i'm not going to reveal yet some new things are coming in the uh, in the fall as well uh, a couple of good shifts a couple of things that'll be uh you know really really good that i'm really excited about and some new guests that i'll be bringing on as well so stay tuned season two has been great and uh here without any further ado is me russ and mahalia <laughs> even though i said that grammatically incorrect nevertheless here they are check it out you just pretend. Oh, all right, sounds good. All right, well, welcome. I um, since we're recording this, I guess I can say where I'm live at the Goose right now. All right, that's right. First time at the Goose too. This is uh, this is good. I've got my daughter here, Mahalia. Yep. 
So if you've listened to Profane Faith before, you know that she's been on before. And uh, this is great. I got, I got a few notes here in regards to what I may want to talk about. But uh, we have audience members as well. May I ask y'all some questions and then get it, make it interactive. Mahalia, since you're here, what are, what are your thoughts about the Wild Goose since you're here? Well, I personally like it. Um, it there's a lot of hipsters here, I got to be honest. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very colorful and <laughs> yes. Um, I like the river because I haven't been in the river before. Okay. I've only been in oceans and pools. And pools, yeah, yes. The pools are sanitary. So uh, okay. Um, I also think that North Park should have a tent, though. They should absolutely. We'd love to get representation here. Yeah, but I like uh, wild goose because it's really fun. All right. Have you learned anything from the goose as of yet? Not. Not really, even though, like, all I've learned really is Uh it's really country here. It's like... Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's country. Definitely country. Do you like the country, though? Yeah. You're a horse rider, correct? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. And so, have you seen any horses while you've been here? Mm Mm-mm. Okay. Very sad. Mm, All right. All right. Well, um, tell the folks then a little bit about who you are. What do you believe? What do you think about life since you're 11? How do you how do you see life? I think school is boring. That's all I have to say. Okay, school is boring. But I also think that school should interact a bit more. Okay. Because you always sit there. All you do is sit there, Mm -hmm. and then you just eventually get bored. Okay. All right. What should those interactions look like? Be outside or something like that. Okay. So be outside in nature, get in the rivers, and then learn math. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. (laughs) Float down the river, learning geometry. Yeah, that'd be ideal. Okay. That's ideal. That is ideal. Um, All right. And what else? What do you believe? Where do you... You go to church, right? Yeah. With us. Yeah. Yeah. You like it? it? I mean, now that it's summer, there's no, like, kids camp, so I have to sit through the sermon which is pretty boring because I don't get any of it. You don't get any of it, huh? No. Okay. But did you like kids' church? Yeah, I like that better because they have food. Ah, yes. The food. The food is is what gets you. But it's also just better. Okay. It's not as boring. Okay. All right. They put it into kids' terms, not grown-up terms that I don't get. Okay. So what are some of those grown-up terms? I'm curious to know. What are some of the grown-up terms about Jesus and God and Abraham? I can't really explain it because I don't get it. But you get it. You've told me about all kinds of oh, things about well, stories of the Bible. David, right? King David? What? You know King David. You're just acting crazy now. No, I don't know. I forget half of the Bible because it's Legitimately, like five thousand pages long. Yeah, well, some of them are. Yeah, yeah, the real fine print ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, or I guess large print, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, what has your life been like up until now? To age eleven, from two thousand six to two thousand eighteen. Uh, you came into the world. First thing you did was poop. And then what did I do? And then you had uh, hairy, hairy ears and hairy arms. Well, I know our pets. That, yes. That's, that's fun. Okay. So you like the pets. You're a pet person, obviously, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, well, the fact that a rabbit just died. Oh, yeah. Our rabbit just died. But Foo-foo. we have another rabbit, but she's hardy. She's she is. Like, she's hardcore. She's 
she's gone through hell and back. I mean, yep, she has. She's a mini lop. <laughs> she's an inspiration for life. Yeah. Right. She, she's had illnesses. She's had just yeah. She's had like everything. Bot flies and yeah. things Oof. that bury into her skin and yeah, nasty just stuff. Like, Mom, there's another one. Help me pull it out. My my. <laughs> My goodness. Grizzly Pants is a talkative cat, though. Grizzly Pants is our new cat. And Pig Cat. And Pig Cat, yes. <laughs> um, well, this is good. So um, let me ask you this. Would you come back to the Goose? Why would you come back to Wild Goose? Because this is both our first time here. Yeah, I would come Wild back because um, I also want to camp because I like camping. Mm, mm, but we need okay. to bring, uh, uh, like, we need to like, spray down that. the whole camp with, like, off spray because it's <laughs> like... I can't stand the bugs. The bugs. Okay, so that's the city part of you talking. Okay. Yeah, I All don't right. like the city that much because it's always loud. All right. There's too many people. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Mahalia. I think I'll I'll uh, keep that in mind next year for camping. I don't. Yeah, we have a a big tent from Costco, but it looks good in the backyard. Looks very good <laughs> in the backyard. I enjoy my air conditioning. Um, all right, all right. Well, this is uh, this is a good time, I think, to uh, ask maybe some questions of the audience and see what y'all think in regards to faith and hip hop and God and Trumpster and all those good things. Anyone care to ask anything? If not, it's fine. I can talk about my new book, Homeland Insecurity. And the premise of that. And that's something you really should do. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. But I want to ask a question. Ask a question, please. Because uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, this is, my name is Russ Jennings. You do know that. Yes, I know and, that. And I invited you here to be part of this tent. Absolutely. And we, what we do here at the Wild Goose is something that I find fits me like a glove and it is it is um, a, a, a real fantastic experience every time i come this is my eighth goose wow now as you coming to the uh, to your first goose yes as um as someone who is not just um, uh, um, a regular person waltzing in out of some getting off a church bus or something, but you, <laughs> you are you are a scholar of the kinds of things we talk about here at the Goose, with a particular emphasis on hip hop. Yes, and you're an African American, uh, very sharp guy. Oh my! Oh, well, so I'm Sometimes. very very curious. Uh huh. Uh, what your what your impressions are of the Goose in particular um, around the kinds of issues that come up with well-meaning white people mm -hmm. uh, which we have a lot of here um, uh, just just a general topic I'd, yeah. I'd like to get really just let it all hang out uh, <laughs> I would say let your hair down but they don't yeah, right, 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 right. There's you not can much let some left. of my hair down if you want to borrow it but yeah. that's a really good question I mean I think People have been telling me, so I, I go to LaSalle Street Church in Chicago, and Gary Rand of the Mini uh, used to be our, uh, he retired, but he used to be our, um, uh, kiddo, let's not, uh, whoop, whoop, whoop. Oh. <laughs> go ahead. We'll edit all that out. I have a very kinesthetic daughter, just like myself, I like to push buttons and touch things. Um, but he used to be our, um, our worship pastor and he was always telling me dan you got to get to the goose you got to get to the goose you got to get to the goose and i'm like man what is this wild goose like what what are you talking about and he like it mentioned oh it's outdoors and i saw pictures and i was at first i was kind of like oh lord but then i started seeing folks that i knew come and get connected i had met jeff um and we had talked a little bit about what that what that looks like 
in terms of me coming. I think, if I'm honest, I think progressive spaces, while they've been great in terms of ideology that I can connect with, uh, it's the racial piece, right? It's like, so if, even if I go to a multi-ethnic church or even if I go to an all-black church, then it's the theology. So it's like, kind of you gotta pick what, as a progressive, as somebody who's looking at things from the left a little bit more liberally, um, you know, I, it's been a struggle to find a home. To, as, as a black man, racially, ethnically, I'm African-American. Those of you who listen to the podcast know I'm African-American and uh, uh, I'm Mexican-American. But it's been a struggle to find those spaces because in the Mexican-American environment, it tends to be very conservative. And so something like even if just a podcast named Profane Faith, I mean, that's just going to turn people off automatically. I have family members that, you know, when I went and visited them, they were arguing over should we even have a TV in the sanctuary? Like, is that godly? And they're in Texas and then South and the whole thing, you know, Southern Baptist. And so it's been a struggle in the African-American community. It's like we want to get the race thing. But the minute we start talking about sexuality and sexual orientation, then it's like, boom, back to traditional views. So I've picked more of the, the race thing to deal with. I think there's I feel while I'm in the the actual goose, I feel a sense of like, oh, OK, yes, I fit here. Ideologically, I fit here. Worldview wise, I fit here. I love what that's about. I think I'm still trying to ask myself because, you know, this is triggering for me. So for somebody who grew up in the South, who grew up around the Klan, who grew up around the backwoods where you would get you could get killed. I mean, that's why, you know, no trespassing signs like I'm looking for those because it's like, you know, that's when the guns come out. That's when you get hemmed up. I mean, when we used to go fishing, my mom used to carry a 38. And so, you know, it was like this because stuff could pop off, right? You know, it's like when we went camping, it's like I remember one time somebody trying to break into our cabin and, you know, my mom telling me like, all right, take this knife. Soon as the person comes in, you're like, we're making a plan. Now, no, nothing happened that night, but that's the type of environment, right, that I come from. Seeing Confederate flags, just the little whispers, the little things, those are all triggers. So I'm asking myself, what does that mean long-term in a place like this? And then I also realize I'm processing through my own stuff of, <laughs> you know, I'm prissy. I, I'm a devo. I, I like my air conditioner. I like my beds. I, I don't like to be out in the world. I'm not a camper. I like fishing. And that's the funny thing is I like the outdoors. I like being out there. I'm not afraid of bugs or spiders or snakes. Um, but psychologically, this takes me back to places and times that were not very good. You know, my mom and my grandmother, who I was raised by, kept me from going to kindergarten. It wasn't really until I had to go to the first grade. I was made to go to the first grade. And I didn't understand that until I got older. It was just like, you know, because there was always a threat of somebody wanting to uh, kill you, quite literally. So that's, those, are, those are my balances. I think, like I said, ideology, theologically, I fit here. These, these are folks here. While I'm in the camp, I feel good. Once I leave, literally leave the gate, I feel apprehensive and anxious about what I'm going to run into. I mean, just this morning, we saw some bikers come in, you know, with Confederate flags and, you know, and all the whole nine, right? And so I'm thinking to myself, hmm, what, 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 is, what do I look like to you, right? What do you, what do you think of me? And like all those type of things. And I know that things are cool until they're not. Right. So I ask myself about that. Otherwise, I feel good. I mean, I'll come back. This is this is great. I love Jeff. I like you. I just got I just got to meet you, man. This is great. So I can say I'm hopeful to come back and engage with this because I think the work is important. Like I said yesterday, the house is on fire and we need all hands on deck. So uh, I, I don't mean to 
turn the tables on you here and start interviewing you. Turn, but, turn. But I got a few questions for you. Ask. So I, I've listened to, I think, pretty much all of your casts. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And uh, a couple of them, listened to them twice. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, all right. I, Trip Fuller and I had a, uh, we did a chat on my 100th episode. Nice. Back in December or January. Nice. And he, was, he started running down his favorite podcasts, and yours was one of them. Get out of here. Yeah. Really? That's the podfather. He loves it. He is the podfather. Yeah. I know. He so, is. He's so I did. I listened to a bunch of them, but yours, I listen to yours father. every week. Uh, I, I check. I never am. I have so many podcasts in my head. I can't remember who comes oh, out man. on what days. Yes. So I'm just, every time I take my phone out, I look at Stitcher and say, did Dan have a new one? You know, there's like two or three people who I do that with. Um, and so... Uh, part of that is because as a progressive white person, mm-hmm. especially in the last four or five years, really, and yeah. if people could, if this was TV, people would realize that that means there were m- many years before that. Yes. Yes. Because yes. I'm, I'm actually uh, from the 60s. You oh, know? come on, son. Come on. And I, I came on. through the 60s thinking I knew a lot about racism. Okay, you know? and I coasted on that until basically till uh, really, you know, Eric Garner. Yeah, you know, his color did not yes. get. And you, if you remember, at least in, in cities all over the country, there were demonstrations every single night. Yes, for a week or so, it was Absol- it was yes. an incredible time. Yes. Mm-hmm. And during that time, there were all these meetings, and I suddenly realized I didn't know anything about mm. racism. Hmm. You know. And so your show has been one of the, um, you know, I know that it is not your job to educate white people, and I appreciate that, but you are doing that nonetheless, you know, uh, and I think that's a really valuable, valuable thing. So I recommend to all my, all my uh, compatriots out there to, to well, do thank this you. too. I appreciate that. Thank you. That means but, a lot. But so given that many really well-meaning white people don't get it. You know, like me. Okay. Um, do, do, you, mm-hmm. do, do you have an idea of, like, what the next step for us all together is? I mean, we're obviously mm. supposed to be allies, but it isn't, isn't really a perfect fit, you know? Yeah. Man, I mean, that's a good question. That comes up a lot. I mean, you know, again, for those of you who know me and who've listened, you know, my wife, you know, is uh, racially white. Ethnically, she's German and Scottish and English. But we have this conversation dang near every day because she I would consider her a white ally. She works in an organization that serves predominantly African-American Latinx women at this place called New Moms on the on the west side of Chicago. And, you know, they do all kind of great things, but it's run by white folks. Right. It's like, you know, the main donor base is white. So they're asking the question, what does that look like? And I think there's great intentions in organizations like that. But at the end of the day, it's. I think a lot of times white folks want to control what diversity looks like, and that just can't be done. You know, I say this quote all the time. <laughs> seeing Doug Paget over there, and on oh, the Rams, look at that. That's, there they are, the people themselves, Lenore and Gary, the ones who got me here to the goose. This is, you can credit them. <laughs> um, but I think oftentimes, you know, I, I say this quote all the time, but I had a friend, well, I should say it wasn't a friend, a colleague, a coworker who was like, I would love to talk with you about race, but can we do away with the anger? Can we just, you know, I can't, I can't deal with the anger. And, but, and so that stuck with me, and it's just like, that's been the, the sentiment over and over and over. Now, I would imagine 
folks that hear the goose are are a little more open to this. I mean, when I had a conversation with Jeff, and I think Gary, you had invited me to this spot in Chicago, and we had a conversation, a very frank and open conversation about you know wild goose. What does what does the wild goose look like moving forward? In a time, it will will progressive Christianity get overcome then by whites, right? It's like, you know, this whole thing about, oh, the, the Christian left. And it's just like, um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like who folks who, you know, only look at Christian history, you know, from a white lens. And then, you know, you leave out the civil rights movement. You leave out that, not you, not any of you, but you, and people leave that out, right? That was my problem when I was doing my master's looking at postmodern studies and philosophy. It was like, there were so many great texts, but none of them included my story, right? None of them included, you know, my, I had family members that fought in the migrant farmers work, workers movement in the 60s and the 50s. You know, I had, you know, I had family members brought over here in the 20s who were from the Bracero program, you know, back then, you know, which later turned into the migrant farm workers movement. That was never discussed, right? You know, I know my mom who was a part of the, the Black Panthers in Berkeley. And so those aspects, I think, are challenging. I'm finding that I think it's I'm glad I'm married to who I'm married to, because, again, these conversations come up literally every day. We talk about it with my daughter. She's asking questions as we're coming up here, like, what does that mean? What does the Confederate flag mean? What does that mean? Um, I, th- I found the email funny that Wild Goose sent out about, you know, I'm, I'm appreciating they acknowledge the Confederate flag, but then they're like, oh, but, you know, try not to pay it no mind. I'm like, really? <laughs> try not to pay it no mind? That's like telling a Jew, just don't pay no mind to, you know, the swastika. It's okay. They'll be all right. That doesn't mean anything anymore. It's dead. So, right, exactly. And so, I think it's a hard conversation. Diversity is a hard thing to do. It is not a church builder. It is not where you're going to have a Joel Osteen, 30,000 plus member church, because people don't necessarily want to engage with the hard conversation of what diversity looks like and moving beyond power systems and power structures. I get it, it's a lot to give up. The relative privilege I have as a male, cisgendered male, it's difficult at times to give up that, that privilege, right? I don't have to think about, you know, when I go into a dark parking lot. Now, here, when it gets dark, don't get me wrong, I'm inside. I mean, I'm, I'm like, mm-mm. But in the city, I don't, I, I don't think about getting picked up. I don't think about the sex trade industry because, it, right, it doesn't necessarily, you know, I mean, it affects me, but it doesn't affect me directly. So I get given up privilege. I can't imagine what it's like when all the history books and all the things have pointed towards your existence as, 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 a, as a human to give that up as well. So I'm concerned, I'm very concerned about what the future looks like. I'm concerned about what the future looks like in a decade when this child of mine is 21 and what that future is going to look like. Will there be a future? <laughs> Will all the apocalyptic stuff that we've talked about in films you know, come true? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I hope not. I'm, that's not what I'm shooting for. I'm not necessarily a complete anarchist. There's some anarchy in me, but not complete. Um, so I'm asking myself what that looks like, but I know we have to work in partnership. My wife says something all the time. She says, love will win. And that's frustrating sometimes because I feel like that tends to fall on the side of ethnic minorities, right? Take, I've heard this since I was a kid. Take the upper road. Be the bigger person. God damn it. Sometimes I don't feel like being the bigger person. Sometimes I just want to slap somebody, you know. Besides, why do you have to be the bigger person? Why right. Not, why not just right. everybody or something? Right. I mean, you said something, Marvin, that was great. It's like, man, if we wear these T-shirts, I mean, I'm wearing a T-shirt now that says, you know, dream like Martin, and, you know, as it goes through the thing, it's like, I, I agree. I'm like, I think, I wish more of us could do stuff like that. Um, 
but it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to talk about these intersections, intersectionality. I mean, my cousin who's Mexican, you know, came out in 1985, you know, as, as gay. His father, my uncle, was a devout Southern Baptist, Mexican Baptist preacher who preached heaven and hell and brimstone. And when he came out, he was a part, in fact, my cousin was a part of the first round of the Dallas Buyers Club. He was in uh, Dallas at the time and was, was a part of that because he was diagnosed with AIDS in 1986. Um, but I remember even him in the movement and how long it took for him to get his quilt on the AIDS quilt because he was, he was a dark-skinned Mexican. And how the movement in the 80s of particularly gay rights, you know, really took a white turn when there was plenty of black and brown, you know, folks who were coming out at that time uh, that struggled to even get their voices heard. You know, unfortunately, my cousin died in, in 1996. But and, and posthumously, his his quilt was finally put on there. But you know that the, he didn't he didn't live to see that. You know what I'm saying? And so that type of stuff remains when you think about what happened in Oklahoma. When you think about the Black Wall Street and how that was taken, it's like it's a struggle for me to look. And that's what the 2016 election did. It is it really gave me a hard dose of this is really where we are. This is really where America is. I mean, Christian Smith and, and Michael Emerson talked about it, you know, 18 years ago, right, in uh, Divided by Faith. They were warning us, like, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. They were telling us, these are the, these are the numbers. Um, and then in 2016, it was manifested, right? Kelly Brown Douglas says it like this. She said that Obama occupied a space that only a white man was, it was reserved for a white man. And that has really pissed a lot of people off, you know. Um, and not so much to the point, like, it's policy. Like, I'm, I'm, I, Obama had a lot of, he was very problematic on many levels, you know. His uh, deportation policy was one, being one of them. How he handled Wall Street and the banks is another one of them. At the same time, I'm kind of like, man, I, I felt like I know the beauty products that are in the White House right now, that are the, the, the girls who are doing their hair. <laughs> It's similar to my daughters that are, that are there. Right, exactly. And I know some of the brushes. I know some of the barbers that are being up in there. And so that scared people. And Obama's like the cleanest of the cleanest. If Obama scares you, I must be a nightmare. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> I'm not that clean. I'm not, I didn't go to Princeton. I went to community college. I went, you know, I still say four-letter words. So I don't, I struggle with that. That's a long-winded response to your, to your question, though, brother. I... Well, it probably could go on for days, too, I know. You mentioned Kelly Brown Douglas. I imagine that means you've read uh, Stand Your Ground. Oh, my gosh. That, yeah. I'm just about done with it. And I, it's totally rocking my world. Oh, she, she's... Uh, she, she's, a, the, for people who don't know, she's a union graduate. She was a protege of James Cohn. Yep. Uh, and yep. she spoke at his funeral a few yeah, months ago. she did, she did. And that's where I first became really aware of her. Yeah. And she's now the canon theologian at the National Cathedral. Which yes. Is a pretty august position. Yes. She's a fantastic writer and an amazing researcher. Mm-hmm. And the Stand Your Ground is something, a book I'd recommend to everybody. And I'm Absolutely. Too. So the second half of that book, she talks about the black church and black theology. Yes. And you talk about not, you know, a white guy, a progressive white guy in the Christian movement, not knowing jack about racism and or even about black people. She, her, what she says about the black church in that book was just mind-blowing to me yeah. that there's really a different theology in there. 
some people think it's kind of a regular conservative evangelical kind of theology. Yeah. It is anything but. Can you kind of spin that out a little bit and, and sort of sure. throw a little Daniel White Hodge into it? I mean, I'll even back up. And I actually had this conversation with uh, Dr. Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas because the first time I read her work, Sexuality in the Black Church, I was in seminary. Uh, and it, it, it shook me so much that I was actually, because I come from a very fundamentalist background, right? I went from the Nation of Islam to Seventh-day Adventist, you know, black Seventh-day Adventists. And that was like a huge, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my brothers and sisters in the Nation of Islam movement, but, you know, it's still pretty fundamental, right? I mean, you're, you're trained to, to argue and to win arguments. It was the same thing as Seventh-day Adventism. You were trained to win arguments. So when it came to sexuality, it was very black and white, very binary. And so when I first read that, I was like, oh, hell no, this is satanic. This is demonic. And she just laughed when I told her that. She said, yeah, because she, she kind of knew, right? She knew exactly where that was coming from. Now, obviously, I've... I've, I've, I've had, you know, I've since seen the light, so to speak. Um, but I do find, particularly at the Hewitt DeWitt Proctor Conference, if those of you who haven't been, I highly recommend going. It's really a collective of black progressives from the UCC, from the African-American United Methodist Church, from places like that. And it was for one of the first times I actually saw more black progressives in that involvement that include not just racial justice, but also sexuality and human sexuality justice. That was the first time I'd ever seen that. Um, and theologically being able to wrestle with that, quite honestly, where I, where I find the most homage at, and I know it's not a perfect guild, but it's the American Academy of Religion. It's that's yes, yes. It is where I've found. I mean, you because you can go to sessions on straight queer theology and learn. I and that's honestly what. Well, now that I'm tenured, I don't have to like go and oh, let me go write this down. Now I can just go to what I want to, and so I show up to those sessions, the black womanist sessions, and so. Oh man, man, I just and I don't even say anything. They're like any question. I'm like, man, I'm just taking it in. Um, and part of it is just because I know that, you know, as a black man, I mean, that, and that's one of the things I think about black womanism is that we're not, the difference between that and feminism is that we're not necessarily trying to, or we, women, black women are not necessarily trying to put away black men, like for say, like completely squelch their voice. Like even the critique against James Cone that started back in the late 80s and early 90s was more about like, this is a great theology, but it's incomplete. It doesn't have a woman's perspective. You know, that was his opinion of it, too. Yes. Because yes. she talked about that. Kelly Brown Douglas talked about that in her eulogy at the at the funeral about how yes. he took her aside and said, look, you got to finish this. Yes. And that was he was amazing. One <laughs> of the things that I loved about James Cone and one of the few folks who is at his level and, 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 is, and as majestic as he was, was able to take critique. And that, oh dear, oh dear. Um, that's me. I know. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's like putting a one on steak. I'm sorry. Um, I did. It, I did do it last night. My daughter busts me out all the time. I like a one, but I know it's blasphemous. Or putting ketchup on a hot dog in Chicago. So I know that that's. I don't do that. I don't do that. So I do have like. No, I don't. Um, daughter over saying, yeah, you do. Bust me out. Um, James Cone was able to it, it was encouraging for me because so oftentimes you go and those of you who've been in the academy know it's about grandiose look at look at what you know it's puffing up your chest it's a, it's another form of the streets it's how i've been able to to survive the academy because i literally apply what i learned in the streets back in the 80s and 90s just to the academy because it's about oh man you know it's about my name and my legacy and this and this and that 
James Cone was one of the first big scholars that I read and saw that he could take criticism like a champ. And so when the womanist came to him, where it's like, yo, this is incomplete, he was like, huh. You know, he always had that voice, yeah, I, I do believe, I do believe, you, you kind of right about that. Yeah, explain a little bit more about that. And I was like, man, I thought I was, I got my popcorn out. I was like ready for like, okay, they facing to go at it now. And that for me was, was encouraging. That's theological, right? That for me is part of the gospel. And so that's encouraging to see that because that's, it, it's something that needs to be more more of. So I, I, when I was bringing up that Kelly Brown Douglas part, it was about the fact that she was saying that the, the enslaved Africans saw a parallel, a lot of parallels in Christianity. Yes. But they were not, they were very clear that they were not worshiping the same God. Yes. And that's literally not the same God. It's not like you guys got it wrong. It's like, no, our God didn't like that. And everything else kind of fits okay. We can, we can look like church and sound like church, but, but can you, I think there's something in that. I'm, what do you, I mean, the whole, whole idea of the great guy, the, the most high God that was sort of over everybody and all that mm -hmm. being a totally free entity and that that's the, what they were participating in even in the midst of slavery mm -hmm. that's pretty inspiring and it's also pretty not what everybody thinks the black church is about absolutely no that's a, that's a good question that's a good question I think and that's part of I think what hip-hop theology brings as well it, it brings this God that is amongst us amidst that as opposed to a, a God that is up there on high disconnected God is amongst and this is where I think our Native American brothers and sisters got it right with the earth and the ground the soil which is why I can't overlook being out in places like this because I realize you know this I love the city but I realize that that also has become a part of my own intellect where I'm just in the mind and not in the body. And theologically, I think that that is, when you think about what you know, African slaves had to endure, the enslavement of, of African slaves or African peoples, um, what Kelly Brown is talking about, and not just her, Carrie Day, we have others, I mean, you know, you think about Will Gaffney and what, you know, what, what they bring, I mean, she, you know, she's a whole uh, scholar on hermeneutics, black hermeneutics, you know, in the Hebrew. It's just amazing to hear, again, from that perspective about a God that walks with us, who suffers with us. I think about the American God uh, series, it, I wish they'd bring it back. Uh, and there was one episode with uh, the Mexican Jesus, there was all these versions of Jesus, and it was a Jesus that was helping them come across the border Border. And then he is the actual one who gets killed and shot by the border patrol, or actually these Minutemen that are there. And so I think about, again, a God that walks with us, a God that is with us, is both perplexing and encouraging at the same time, right? It's perplexing in the sense that, how can this God continue to allow this? But at the same time, I'm glad God is here. And even if it means the death, I know that the next life, the next iteration of where I'm going will be with God and the Godhead. It also invokes a multi-gendered God rather than just saying he or him. It's a broader aspect and version of who God is rather than just looking God as God as one sole gender entity. It also looks at God in the mystic realm. This is what I love about Howard Thurman uh, and the mysticism of who God is beyond just an actual physical body, but God in all things. And so, and again, going back to Native American brothers and sisters, I mean, earth, wind, and fire, not necessarily the group, but earth, wind, and fire, although good music, that is where I've had to begun to lean in over the last two years. 
And it, I say two years because after the 2016 election, it, like I said, it just changed a lot of the way I look at, at God and theology. And how can I begin to embrace more of the earth, more of what the wind is saying? I mean, even just sitting down on, at the river and allowing the wind to just take me. Um, those are beautiful things, and I, and I think that when you study it, it's really been a rich heritage in black theology, but not one that has been very popular. I'll say that. So in your podcast, yes, this is actually your podcast, right? We're, we're doing an episode of Profane Faith here. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, you, you don't have only African-American guests on. No, you have, no. You have uh, white folks and uh, Latinx folks and all that. Um, what, what do you, how do you characterize your role You've become quite a voice, and a lot of people listen to you. So, oh man! Oh yeah! No responsibility, and no, no, no pressure. I mean, uh, <laughs> but still, you know, you got all these people listening to you. What do you think your role is as a prophetic oh, voice man. in people's cell phones? <laughs> right. That's true. That's very true. People, cell phone. Um, I look at myself really right now as just a guide. Um. I really don't. When I do the podcast, I'm really, I'm really, I think Angie Hong said it the best. She's like, you know, you're an open processor. You're openly processing on your podcast. That's really what I'm doing. Because I feel like, okay, when I'm invited to speak, okay, oh, you got to be the expert. When I write a book, okay, oh, I have to come with these sources and have all these footnotes. But on my podcast, I just get to really just process life. And I see myself as a guide and really an introduction to voices a lot of times that just haven't really been heard. I mean, that's that's why I try to find folks that I, again, it's just me feeling like these folks need to be heard. These, this this person's got a good, a good perspective on theology. I think about my grandmother, God rest her soul. She had an amazing theology, but she had an eighth grade education, right? Born in 1918, you know, left home because she was the oldest and was tired of taking care of her, of her, of her, of her brothers and sisters, you know, and, but she had an amazing routine, a theological routine. She was disciplined up every morning at 5 a.m. for prayers, you know, cooked and clean. I mean, all those, and I'm not saying that's what women should do. I'm just simply saying that was her regimen. And it was always about God, always about, you know, doing certain things for God, look out for the people, the community. So I wish I could have interviewed her. She doesn't have no book deal. She doesn't have no, you know what I'm saying? I mean, she's not on the stage. They said something great at Justice Camp on Thursday. It's like, man, we need to stop. Let me see, I even wrote it down. It's like, you know, we need to stop worshiping the pulpit and really begin to work and, and live within the pews. Ooh. That's deep. That's deep that like a That is really deep. <laughs> is any, would anybody else like to talk to the cell phone prophet over here? <laughs> I like that, the cell phone prophet. Seriously, come on. Somebody wants to ask Anybody? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? You got a question, kiddo? All right. Come up to the mic again. Her question is, how come I can't have a horse? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, doing it, she does it in front of everybody, right? Right, so right. you're really a bad guy. I'm a bad a guy. We're not getting yeah. a horse <laughs> with our 10 by 10 backyard in Chicago. That's, yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> we keep it at the Rand's house. They have a bigger backyard. We can keep it there. 
Douglas, you're next. <laughs> That's I understand. That's I mean I'm in good I'm in good company there. I'll take yeah. that. I mean the book. So it's Homeland Insecurity, a hip hop missiology for the post soul context. It it really was a book out from the heart. I started writing it in 2015. Um, I hustled two book contracts with IVP, and um, the first book contract I had a had a co-author. That co-author fell through, so I was like, "Well, let me just go to the second book." Um, but I ended up after the 2016 election. I was about 150 pages in, and I completely stopped and was just like, "I can't write this." Yeah, it's 150 pages. Yes, it's, you know, I can't, this is not me. I, I'm writing the, the standard Christian book, right? Like, here's the problem, here's the resources, and then let's let's think about what we can do. So I scrapped all of that stuff and started completely over um, right around November 10th, 2016. And um, long story short. Why that date? What? <laughs> I'm a datey kind of guy, so I, I, I tend to remember that. I'll forget my car keys in a minute in my wallet. You can ask my daughter. We're always like, when I leave the house, I always leave it five times, you know, because I'm always like, oh, I got to go get this. Oh, I got to go get that. But yes, you see, my daughter is a true testament of that. But dates always stick with me. So it was no because I remember November 6th. Well, I remember the, the Cubs winning. And then I remember it was a week later and then it was the election time. And I just remember what that feeling that I felt on November 7th. Right. I mean, I was up just late, like a lot of us were just kind of mindlessly going through Twitter and just thinking about what the next four years were going to be like. Um, and on November 10th, that's when I, like I said, I just, I gotta, I gotta do away with what I've written on this book. And on November 10th, that's when I went in, I had a writing day and I, I started over. And uh, that was the beginning of the book where I was like, as I sit here, I sit here with a heavy heart. Cause I'm like, I think about all the black bodies that have fallen. I think about all, you know, like what that meant. And even Black Lives Matter leaders are asking the question, like why does, why does in, under a black presidency, why do we have to have an organization like Black Lives Matter or even a hashtag like that? Black queer lives matter, black trans lives matter. I mean, what, what, why do we have to continue having those things? You know, when you think stereotypically, oh, a black president, things should be a little different, maybe. But that for me was the genesis. And so I then wanted to, obviously, as, as somebody who does research, I wanted to include some of that research. I had, I had had about seven years worth of data of uh, young persons, people under the age of 21, really between ages of 18 and about 24, um, just their experiences with, with white short-term missionaries. And so I wanted to include their voices in that. I wanted to include multi-ethnic millennials and Gen Yers and Gen Zers in this as well. Because I feel like those categories are overlooked. And in fact, that's the next project that I'm working on. We're doing a national uh, multi-city research project. Myself, Sunshan Ra, another guy named uh, Ralph, um, blessings and um, he's a marketing type of guy and does all these types so we're you know we're doing quantitative and qualitative and we really want to figure out like what is the multi-ethnic the inter-ethnic the ethnic minority youth experience because we see all these studies but is it really accurate it's not always complete I mean think about Christian Smith and some of his work I love his work but it just didn't include enough voices from the margins and so that's what we've been trying to do so I wanted to include some of those voices and talk about what does religion look like now are you losing it are you not are you going to church if you are going to church what does that look like if you're not going to church how come what does it mean to be an undocumented person living in Los Angeles um, and serving particularly white communities but yet being hated and despised by them you know um, and so showing that and then making the case and the argument that if Christianity is going to continue, it needs to embrace a hip-hop theology. 
in my estimation, hip hop theology is the next iteration of Christianity. And so making that case, and then I ended basically, and I said at the beginning of the book, this is not a book with answers. This is a book bringing up a lot of problems. I'm sounding the, 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 the bell. I'm sounding the, 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 the warning bell. Like this, things are happening. <laughs> we need to move further and beyond just simplistic answers and really begin to look at how then do we act within the theology of lament and, 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 and move amongst each other rather than trying to celebrate everything and skipping over the hard stuff to get to solutions. So that was kind of where I ended. Um, Jew Tiersma Watson, who was a former mentor of mine and also great worker. I would definitely consider her a missionary worker in the city of Los Angeles. Uh, white woman, but she really understands the dimensions of her whiteness within this primarily Latinx context. She wrote the foreword. And she's really been a, a good, a great example of what it means to be a white woman, all herself involved in the 60s and 70s and all that. And what does that mean now in this era? And she's married to an African-American uh, man as well, John Tiersman Watson. And they do some great, amazing stuff. So I talk a little bit about that. Um, and just what does, when you think about missions, how then do we look at the Great Commission in 2016? when you have this exodus, even within the black church, I mean, and more and more African-Americans are coming, you know, coming forward and saying, they're outing themselves and saying, you know, no, I am atheist. No, I am humanist. I just didn't want to say anything because grandma or auntie was around and well, we waited till they pass or they're in, you know, in another place to come out and say some of these things. And so I wanted to, you know, I want to say, what does that look like? How do we engage with that? And this is also something that Lincoln and Mamiya, uh, two scholars, they wrote about the black experience in the African-American church. This book was published, I think, in 1991. Uh, their research is one of the few that exists out there really begin to chime in and say, hey, wait, there's something big coming. There's something going on. So I wanted to kind of pick up that mantle in a very humble way, but pick up that mantle and say, okay, here's what this might look like. And then possibly this is where we could go. But at the same time, as has been said throughout the goose, it's like we're constructing the plane while we're flying. <laughs> And I like that. I think Dr. Robin Espinosa said that, but it, or somebody said that. Somebody of that caliber said that. And um, that's part of what this book presents. And so Homeland Insecurity is really that sense that we're really insecure. I mean, a fear. We know that about, you know, the fear that exists within our country, but the insecurity that exists within our homeland. When we think, when you securitize something, then you put up rules, then you put up invoices and all these different things, these policies, but are they really doing anything for us? And so I wanted to kind of explore that within a hip hop context. So that's kind of a real brief overview of the premise of the book and kind of where I go from beginning to end. So, yeah. <laughs> so Boy, is there you. anything else you want to add to this or do you want to wrap? What do you want to Oh do? my goodness. Well, you know what? I, I, this is your show. <laughs> This book is actually already out. It's out now. I have it's a in copy in my my room. Yeah. Where can people get? It? Well, right now I'm ordering my own copies. Yes, and it's here. This is, and I want to reiterate this again. This is the first conference that I've been to that has all of my books. I couldn't believe that. There's all four of them over there. Um, and I couldn't believe that. I, I can't even afford one of them. Like, but I'm glad they got them here. So it's I got the you know the one on Tupac, Soul of Hip Hop, uh, the work that I did with Brill Academic, uh, Hip Hop's Hostile Gospel. Um, and then the latest. So it is out. It's on Amazon. You can go to IVP as well. Um, 
and so yeah it's out I'm, I'm excited that it's out and i'm looking to have some signing parties in chicago and also if you out there listening and you got a place you know bring a brother out I'll, I'll come you know i'll come sell some books and hook it up talk with you um and, and engage with that so yes that's where you can get it and i hopefully have them on my website soon whiteodge.com okay cool i think that's think that's good unless anybody else has any other questions comments mahalia do you have anything else you wanted to say besides horses when you get in the horse yeah <laughs> but this is good i'm glad to be here live at the goose cast thank you for those of you in the audience <laughs> Hey folks, it's your boy Dan White Hodge coming at you. Just so you know, we're winding down season two and don't worry, those of you who be emailing me and saying, oh man, dude, is it going away? No, 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 I'm just taking a break. Uh, getting some stuff straight for the semester and the school year uh, and recording some new episodes and season three will be back. Late September, early fall, be back in effect. Season three will be back and be even better than ever. So keep listening, keep subscribing and keep telling folks y'all, peace.